Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Renoites. My name is Connor McQuivy. I'm your host. Thank you so much for checking out the show today. I'm very excited on this episode of the podcast to be welcoming Michael Thomas from Greater Nevada Credit Union and Sarah Rosenfeld from MMG Agriculture. That is a cannabis company. This episode is all about the cannabis business, specifically the regulated parts of the business, the banking, the money, the way cannabis businesses have extra challenges compared to other businesses that are doing different kind of work. It's hard to get a bank account as a cannabis company. It's hard to pay your employees. It is federally, technically illegal. So there are a lot of challenges with finding banking services and doing the things that normal businesses do. So we had a great conversation about what that looks like for cannabis businesses here in Nevada, specifically in Northern Nevada, what is going on currently in the legislature, what might be happening at the federal level to make things a little bit easier, really interesting stuff about the way that the whole industry works. So very grateful to those guests for coming on the show. It's a really interesting conversation, and I hope you enjoy it as well. A quick reminder that there is another Renoites Live episode happening this week, Thursday, May 11th. That's going to be at Black Rabbit Mead from 7 to 9 o'clock. This one is with Brad Bynum, who is the singer for the band Elephant Rifle, a popular local band, and the former editor of the Reno News and Review. So we're going to have a good conversation about both Reno's local music world. Elephant Rifle has a new album coming out, so we'll be listening to a couple tracks from it. Kind of a listening party as well. We'll talk about the state of local media, both print media, digital, podcasting, all kinds of stuff. And we'll also be talking a little bit about trivia. Brad is actually the first host at Sierra Tap House. He kind of introduced trivia to the bars here in Reno as the first host at Sierra Tap House, where I host now for DJ Trivia. So we'll definitely be talking a little bit about the local trivia scene as well, which should be a lot of fun. Again, that one is at Black Rabbit Mead this Thursday, May 11th, from 7 to 9. I'll be there from about 6 o'clock. So if you want to come early and have a drink, That'd be great if you are a patron of Reno Whites. I'll buy your first drink. So would love to see you there, and I can buy a drink for you. If you'd like to sign up on Patreon, you can do that at p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash Renoites. It's a great way to support the work that I am doing with this podcast. This is a community-oriented, listener-funded podcast. So if you want to throw a couple bucks in the virtual tip jar, I would greatly appreciate it. If you have suggestions for future guests, ideas for episode topics, please let me know. Send me an email, Connor, C-O-N-O-R, at renoites.com. And now, this week's guests, Michael Thomas and Sarah Rosenfeld. Michael Thomas from Greater Nevada Credit Union and Sarah Rosenfeld from MMG Agriculture. Welcome to Renoites. Thanks for coming on the show. It's great to be here. Great to be here. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, very glad to have you. So this episode is about two different things, really. It's about the cannabis industry as far as the business and operations and the legality here in Nevada. And it's also about the banking and the financing and the behind the scenes of how those businesses exist. I've done one episode about cannabis before a couple years ago that was much more about the cannabis culture. It was not as specific about the business side. So this is really interesting as kind of a compliment to that to learn more about how it all works because it's a complicated industry compared to a lot of others, a lot of regulations, those kind of things. I'll start with you, Michael. So you work for Greater Nevada Credit Union. And just what is this current status on banks' ability to provide services to dispensaries? Because I know initially banks could not or would not do any kind of work with cannabis businesses. But what's it like now and kind of how has that changed? Yeah, and it's a great story. So I'll start back. Let's rewind, right? So um, Nevada followed a very similar process to other states and how it legalized recreational marijuana and ultimately went through a vote of the people. And it was very interesting. The credit union immediately started receiving calls the minute that the legalization of marijuana started happening. And that was from both state elected officials as well as federal elected officials because Nevada knew that it was going to be difficult for legitimate licensed businesses to figure out how they were going to handle the large amount of cash that was going to be present when these new industries popped up in Nevada. So credit unions had been more 
I would say aggressive or at least more open to try to address what the needs were. And so Greater Nevada took these calls in and really started trying to understand what was going to be possible. Let's start with the why first, because I always think it's important there. A little bit difference uh, between a credit union and a bank. So if your listeners don't know, a credit union operates a little differently. We offer banking services, but we're a member-owned financial cooperative. So if you think back to, I always like to say it's a wonderful life with um, Jimmy Stewart, you know, and it was the building and loan and it was the Bailey brothers and it was sort of like a cooperative that got together. That's really what credit unions did. So why we did this is because we realized there was going to be a safety issue and there was going to be an issue to access for not only business owners, but also their employees to do things like get their payroll and be able Mm -hmm. to get um, what so many of us take for granted that we have a job and we want to get a direct deposit into our banking account and how do we pay our utility. So Greater Nevada assessed what the landscape was going to be for us to offer banking services. And we took a very slow approach and we really started offering um, a pilot for cannabis banking services in 2020. And you'll hear from Sarah's experience and what her business was like about how we reached out to those businesses. And we really wanted to offer a local option that was rooted in the community to try to offer the basic things that a commercial business would need, a place to put their deposits, an ability to pay bills, the ability to comply with all of the extensive both federal regulations as well as the state regulations. And there's a lot of them. We can talk into those, but literally from seed to purchase, that's what these businesses in Nevada have to track. And we're a regulated industry because there are things we're trying to do like anti-money laundering Mm. and Banks uh, Secrecy Act and all these things to try to stop foreign terrorists from being able to process money through banks. We are doing everything to those standards and the letter of the law. But I think more than anything else, why we got into this is we didn't want a safety issue. I mean, these are literally, there are stories from business owners that we talked to. They had duffel bags full of millions of dollars of cash that they were trying to do their payroll or to be able to do their taxes for the state. That's not a situation that's tenable. Mm -hmm. And we had to come up with some innovation about how we were going to offer those services. And I think we've been successful and we're excited that when we hear the stories that businesses really say, you made my employees life better and you made my business safer. That's why we got into this. And that's why we're in it for the long haul. Mm -hmm. Are there federal issues around how banking works right now? Because I mean, marijuana is still a federally scheduled drug. So technically, there's still legal issues at the federal level, right? No matter what we've done in Nevada, are those things that are still kind of in play and make things tenuous in the work that you do? Yeah, it's a great question. I'll try to make it as really simple as possible. Um, Right now, we just like banks, we have our own national organization that gives us regulatory compliance. And they made it clear that credit unions could bank cannabis banking. What it really boils down to is a term, and I won't go too technical, but you hear this, it's called a safe harbor. It's used a lot of industries. What it means is that credit unions and banks are at risk that if some federal legislator, Congress, and we, you know, I want to speak to politics, but it's not the most, what's the word I'm looking for, predictive environment right now when it comes to politics. You could have someone, a rogue judge, a rogue regulator decide to go in and say, you can't bank cannabis. So a lot of the credit unions really had to make an individual choice. Why we as Greater Nevada made a choice to do this is we're actually what's called a state chartered credit union. So we had a good sense of how our regulators were going to respond because we were really meeting the needs of our community, which again is a challenge, right? Where I would call it society moves faster than laws can move. And right now at the banking level, anybody that's a major national bank like Chase or Wells Fargo, they're not going to choose to do banking because it's really open to an interpretation Mm -hmm. state by state, jurisdiction by jurisdiction. So that's why you've seen credit unions, including Greater Nevada and others that have taken the lead in doing this. Let me just explain the federal legislation real quick. We can come back to it. There's an, an initiative that has failed every year. It's called the Safe Banking Act, and it's been proposed and it's passed through the House of Representatives. It's stuck in the Senate right now. Our two senators from Nevada are both on the bill as sponsors, and they are trying to basically give banks and businesses that sense of, we understand that cannabis is legal. We're going to make it so it's an equal playing field. And right now it's a patchwork of laws and it makes it very difficult. And we can talk about some of those issues, but things like a business loan or the ability for these businesses to get capital, mm-hmm. it's a, like the wild West. And even though I kind of am fond of the wild West, it's not, it's not good for running a business and it's not good for predictability. Mm-hmm. So Sarah, you run a agriculture, a a growing operation here. You've worked in cannabis in Nevada for a long time. So with the stories of the pre-banking times, when you were first getting into this business, what was your experience like as a business owner 
before you had access to traditional banking services? So it was really challenging initially when we dealt with cash only. I think we've had our bank account now for two years. So since I started this business in 2014, it's been nine years. So those seven years that we dealt with cash only. So for sure, there was some, you know, really sketchy things going on, picking up, you know, $100,000 from a dispensary in the middle of the day, shoveling it into a big bag and hoping nobody noticed you on your way out. Or one time I drove to Vegas and I picked up a bunch of money and I got back really late. I was in a rental car and I just forgot the money in the glove compartment in the car because it was like midnight and I was exhausted. So I had to call AAA, have them get the car open. It was fantastic. (laughs) So I'm really appreciative that I don't have to do that anymore. Another thing is that banks start to catch on. So even though I had my personal banking, I had accounts with Wells Fargo. I had accounts with Bank of America. And over time, they shut down my accounts. So I had, you know, all my children's funds shut down. Their college fund was closed down. So I had to move my money around frequently, even though it wasn't related Mm. to my business. That, as you can imagine, is really challenging. Another challenge was that because my income is cannabis related, I basically was ineligible for loans of any type. So as far as they were concerned, I didn't work and I didn't make money. Okay. So yeah, you can't kind of claim your income if it's seen as not legal income, right? Correct. How how does that work for tax purposes? Oh, well, tax-wise, they believe that you make money. (laughs) That's not a problem at all. So... So yeah, my tax return looks like everybody else's tax return. The only difference is, I'm sure you've heard of 280E. So Mm -mm. Can you tell me about that? So 280E doesn't allow a federally illegal business to claim expenses. So on my tax return, I have my income and I can take cost of goods sold, but I can't take any expenses. So we're actually taxed at a much higher rate as a result. Well, how was the customer experience? Because I have been to dispensaries in the past where it was you have to use the ATM, cash only. Now things have changed a little bit. But can you talk about kind of the effects of those restrictions or regulations back then and how that affected the customer experience too? So I don't think the customer experience has changed drastically because as far as I know, at a dispensary, you can only use the ATM to this day. Mm-hmm. You can't use any other form of payment. Yeah, I, I know some of them have like um, ATM service type thing at the register, sort of. So it's it feels like using a credit or debit card normally, but it's actually running through like an ATM process. Which, That's correct. Yeah, and I think that even that is a newer thing because I remember before it was you know physically taking the money out of the ATM and then walking to the counter with it. And from what I understand, I'm not entirely certain that that's completely regulated. Mm. So I think that often they're able to get by with it using different business names and people Mm. just kind of turn a blind eye to it. But I'm not sure that's something that's like really completely legal. Yeah. Michael, is that something that's kind of one of the services that you'd like to be able to provide? Is that one of the the gaps in service because of regulations? Yeah. And and to explain that a little bit more, I don't want to get too technical, but you know, I always say it's good to listen to something like this because you leave just a little bit smarter and a little bit further along. So there's these things in banking called rails and they just are like they sound. Rails are MasterCard and Visa and American Express. And the reason I bring this up is those businesses will not process. So when you pull out your your mm. debit card or you pull your visa and you swipe or you do a, a contactless purchase, those are going through what are called rails. I bring this up just to simply say there is a need for us to get better control. That's what the Safe Banking Act would do would be to make it a much more convenient experience. And there's more disruption happening. There's new rails, so to speak, just to speak in banking terms. What mm. it means, there's going to be a lot of innovation. So what you really want to make sure of, I think, and why Greater Nevada is advocating for increased compliance is this is a legalized business. You know, Sarah is a legally operating business owner in the state of Nevada, creating jobs, paying taxes. It really creates almost like two tiers of banking access, which is why credit unions got involved in the first place is being able to provide those services. So yes, down the road, we hope when there's federal legislation that allows our partners. So we happen to be, um, if you were to be a Greater Nevada member and there's 86,000 of them all throughout the state, Mm -hmm. you pull out your card and you pay, you use Visa as our partner. 
Right now, Visa knows what we're doing, but we can't offer the convenience. So there's also fees. I mean, that's the other side of it that's here is typically when you go and you pay with uh, an ATM at uh, a dispensary or another cannabis-related business, and there's going to be more. We can talk about new categories of businesses Mm. opening up. There's consumption lounges that are coming. All of these come with additional fees. So again, you're adding anywhere between 5 to 8 to $9 in fees that are going to some of these processors. And again, you know, regardless of what you feel about the legalization of the industry and where you stand on that issue, it's the law of the land in Nevada. And it does seem unfair to put the burden on consumers who are partaking in a legalized business to have to absorb those fees. Mm -hmm. Um, So we want to create an equal playing field, but right now we are limited in some of the things that we can do. Yeah. That, that transition from illegal to legal in certain circumstances to legal in certain places to legal with these restrictions. It seems like it requires a lot of change along the way. Sarah, as you know, working in this industry over all of these changes, can you just talk a little bit about how that's affected the way you have to do business when it seems like the rules change pretty frequently? Yeah, I would agree that the rules change really frequently. I believe in the beginning, we were under the Division of Public Health and Behavioral Services. It changed after that to the Department of Taxation. Then they created the the CCB, who's our new overseeing power. What is the CCB? The CCB is an organization in the Nevada state government, which oversees cannabis. It's the Cannabis Compliance Board. Okay, gotcha. So they now oversee all of our operations and change the rules, from what I can tell, at least once a month. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> uh, Are any of these things, I mean, I'm hoping that some of them are helpful for you, right? That maybe some of these things are burdens or restrictive, but are some of them also helpful or let you operate your business in the way that you want to? I'm really grateful that we're in a state that has a high level of compliance. I think it might be excessive sometimes. I think that as the state starts understanding how cannabis works, maybe things will start making a little bit more sense over time. Mm -hmm. But I mean, some of the compliance is a little excessive. Yeah. As a, like as a cannabis business operator compared to other States, because I only know Nevada, I only have experience really in Nevada around these kind of issues but a lot of states have legalized cannabis now. So from your experience or talking to other people who are in this business, how do you feel about working in Nevada? I know you said that you think they're doing a pretty good job. Is there things that other states are doing better or things that you hear from other operators that would make sense for us here? Well, it's kind of funny. I believe that Nevada is probably the strictest compliance state. However, we're next to California and then you have Oregon fairly close, which are probably the most relaxed compliance Mm. states. So it's kind of funny being, I mean, literally right now, 15 minutes from a state where the rules are completely different than they are here. Mm -hmm. So it makes kind of an interesting playing field. I'm not a multi-state operator. I'm guessing that for multi-state operators, it's more complicated because you, number one, have to have multiple facilities for things that it would be just way more efficient to have one location Mm. for cultivation would be a really good example of that. Why have, you know, 15 cultivations when you could just have one? The cost is extremely high. And then each of those really can't share almost any standard operating procedures. You know, there's things that People spray on plants, for example, in California that have ingredients, which, although not harmful, would cause you to fail for testing in Nevada. So when you have, for example, growers that work in a number of different states, it can get really complicated because they need to do completely different things from state to state based on what their lab testing is like. How does it compare Reno to Vegas as far as the the cannabis industry? I've had this conversation with a couple of guests in the past too, where Vegas has some like mega dispensaries that just, you know, it's a different environment. They're right near the strip, some of them, and it's like a major tourist destination. Here in Northern Nevada, I imagine it's a little bit different. Can you just talk a little bit about running a cannabis business in Northern Nevada specifically? Sure. I mean, I would compare the difference in dispensaries in Reno and Vegas would be similar to the difference in a casino in Reno and Vegas. The casinos here are nice. They're big enough for Reno. But you walk into one in Vegas and you're just like, whoa, Mm -hmm. (laughs) this is really big and really fancy. 
it's kind of like that in Vegas. If you walk into Planet 13, which up until recently and maybe even now is the largest dispensary in the whole world, very fancy. They have these robots that you can watch make edibles mm. and then they do like a dance and duel with <laughs> lightsabers. You're just like, oh my gosh. So it's a little crazy down there in the dispensaries. But in terms of running a cultivation in Reno, I actually think we're pretty lucky. I think it's much more difficult environment in Vegas to grow cannabis mm -hmm. just because it's very dry and Water is scarce and it's not great quality down there. So I think we're pretty lucky to be growing in Reno. As the businesses have sort of conglomerated, I sort of see it really as one state. Now, I used to have to go down to Vegas all the time for outreach and meeting people, but most of my customers now have bought up other dispensaries. So I'm dealing with very few purchasers mm -hmm. and usually they're not even in state. Okay. So they're working for these large multi-state operators and they buy for five, six, seven stores at a time. Gotcha. Michael, for you, as far as working in the state of Nevada that has higher compliance requirements and being next to a state like California that has lower how does that work as far as competition? Does it help you that you are just specifically in the state so you don't have to worry about what the other states are doing? Or does it affect the way that you work having these other states that are nearby that have different requirements? Yeah. So for us, there hasn't been new regulation that we've had to adopt as a regulated industry. So the one good thing is because we bank other regulated industries. So we have, we mentioned gaming, you know, gaming is a highly regulated industry. So innovation, just think of the move to online gambling, right? Mm. That's gone on, you know, the casino industry here has adapted. So there's not so much new rules for us as a institution. Let me talk a little bit about what's happened on the national level, though. Mm -hmm. We got into this again, for the reasons that we believe it was aligned to our purpose, which we talk about helping more people live greater. That's employees, that's business owners, that's the state from a safety perspective. There's a lot more competition today. When we got into doing cannabis banking in the pilot in 2020, Sarah can speak to it. Imagine getting a few calls or at least you know solicitations a week. So now it's become a very competitive industry. So looking at things like what are the services that you provide? How innovative are we? And I will say we have a couple of national partners that work specifically with banks and credit unions that offer banking services. And they have provided us with really fantastic technology. So, you know, for example, if you are a mechanic and someone decides to pay you in cash, you know, some people do that. You might have to, if you make a large cash deposit at your bank, you file some paperwork. A business might do that once a year and on a whim. We do that in the businesses we work with, say, five to 10 times a month. So mm. a lot of it is just trying to get to scale and making sure that we can operate efficiently. So it's been more competitive. I think competition is is a good thing. You know, We've had to look at our offerings. We've listened to business owners like Sarah and others that we bank and say, hey, this is not as competitive as you would like. So it forces us to go out and find new ways of doing it and being more innovative. There have been, unfortunately, some financial institutions that got into the market early and they pulled out because they found it to be very expensive. They didn't maybe have the right processes. We've had to invest in literally hundreds and probably if you added up now, thousands of hours of training, we've sent our staff off to understand how to be compliant. So this is an expensive investment, just like it is for a business owner to go after the licensing. So it's not for the faint of heart. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of, um, I think other financial institutions and a lot of operators that got into us because they were chasing a, a quick dollar. And, you know, cannabis, just like many other, you know, new industries, Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, I mean, they, they, they start really hot and then they tend to always go through boom and bust cycles. So, you know, cannabis collections, the industry is starting to see some contraction for the first time as mm. far as like taxable revenue and sales. Sarah can speak to that, but there's more competition. It's not as novel. So you're going back to, I think the last count I had was 20 states that are legalized mm -hmm. um, recreational marijuana use now. So, you know, before it was a smaller ecosystem. So if you went to a state where cannabis was legal, it was more novel. So there's just a lot of, I think, maturity that's happening. But I, one thing I will give credit to about Nevada is the licenses that were given and the way that the licensing is going in a lot of other states, it's so cost prohibitive that really it was only open to the affluent. Mm. It was open to individuals who had large reserves of cash because the basic things that you could do, I mean, think about a loan as a cannabis business. What do you collateralize? What do you put up as collateral? Your product is not something we can, you know, typically uh, look right. at in the yeah. same way. So these are all, I would say they're all very interesting challenges, but at the heart of it, what I hope your listeners and what we're all hearing from Sarah is very entrepreneurial industry. And you know, when you're presented with the challenge as an entrepreneur, 
you try to figure it out. You try to go and find where there are services. And I think there's just such a tight knit community. Most of the business that we get is from referrals. It's from somebody who's had a good experience or maybe had a bad experience. And, um, that's, that's just the way the industry is going to grow, but it's getting more and more consolidated, more and more, um, processed. And, you know, I think the, the wild west side of it is maybe going away, but it's still a lot of things that need to get um, fixed. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned like in the last couple of years as it's changed, I used to live in Portland and I go and visit Portland and it's a very different cannabis environment because there's a dispensary on every corner and they're all competing heavily on price. Weed is incredibly cheap in Oregon. And here in Nevada, I know when they first did the licensure for dispensaries, it was more limited. We only have a handful of dispensaries in Reno. Can one of you talk a little bit about that dynamic of the dispensary on every corner versus the, you know, fewer dispensaries and how that's affected your business and how you tend to work with, you know, the dispensaries here in Reno? Absolutely. I think the dispensary on every corner situation is something that happens a lot in places like California and Oregon. I grew up in LA, so I know exactly what you're talking about where there's literally a dispensary every every way you turn yeah, your head. And there's like billboards that have like super deals on them, those kind of things, yeah. Totally. I think that it was pretty smart of Nevada to limit it, the first round of licensing for dispensaries. And then they did a second round of licensing and added more dispensaries. And there was actually a lot of resentment from dispensaries that had already been opened because the reality is that Nevada is not a huge state And I don't think having more dispensaries makes more customers. You're just kind of spreading them out amongst more stores. Mm. And it's already a really challenging environment to make profit because our costs are so incredibly high. So the black market, of course, has a huge impact on how much people go to dispensaries. Mm. I think a lot of people in the legal industry still are pretty okay with the black market being around because... That's really where everybody came from. So how can you really resent something like that, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, amongst owners, there's a little bit more resentment because you have this whole black market that doesn't have to follow any rules and never pays taxes. So (laughs) it's not a great competitor to have. Yeah, I, it's it's interesting because I, you know, living in a state where cannabis is legal and we have dispensaries and we have for a number of years, and I have never been like a, I've never bought weed outside of a dispensary. It's just like that is the my understanding of how you get cannabis. Uh, so I forget that a black market even exists, but uh, that is still like a, a significant factor to how your business operates. Most people that I know who own a legal cannabis business agree that we're never each other's competitors because our only real competitor is the black market. Mm. So yeah, I would argue that probably over 50% of cannabis sales in Nevada is our black market sales. Oh, interesting. How do you think about kind of that line between something being made legal, but then also heavily regulated? I assume most people who work in cannabis are not big advocates for heavy criminalization of things around drugs, but they are heavily affecting our tax revenues and your business. I'm just curious how you kind of feel about that as as a legal cannabis business. I think there's a lot of people who prefer to buy a regulated product that's been lab tested. Mm. And there's good reasons for that. Just like with any kind of farming, I don't think a lot of people are really interested in having a product where it's unregulated how much pesticide use is involved, Um, especially people in positions where they're using it medicinally. So I don't think that the customers that are going to dispensaries are necessarily customers that would go on the black market. Mm. I don't know that on the whole, I would agree ever with making a plant illegal. I think it's absolutely ridiculous. So I don't know that I even agree with getting rid of the black market completely personally, (laughs) even though for me, it's probably my biggest competitor. What I think is going to have to happen eventually if the legal cannabis industry is going to remain successful over time, and I think it will happen, is that compliance has got to get less expensive mm-hmm. and taxes need to go down. I don't. I think I'm probably taxed 50 times more than a normal business. It's absolutely ridiculous. And Nevada is one of the worst states for that because we deal with fair market value. Mm-hmm. So... I think in order for us to be competitive with the black market for people who are 
let's call them fringe buyers, might buy black market, might go to a dispensary, depending how much money they have in their bank account. I think in order to push those people towards the legal market, we need to get to a place where it's affordable, which we're not there in Nevada. Michael, is that something that the banking side has an effect on as far as making things easier or helping with the regulations to to kind of streamline to help those businesses also make their products more affordable? Yeah, it's since I've really become interested in this, you know, it's it's not that atypical. I mean, if you look at the relationship, I'm going way back to prohibition with alcohol and, and some of the um, social debates that happen around legalization of drugs and all of that. um, There's always a push in the pull, right? Societal values and norms change. And I think, you know, um, I'm a little older audience can't tell, but I can remember when, um, being in California and the smell of, of marijuana was something that just caused you to kind of viscerally have a, like, well, who's doing that? What's going on? Mm -hmm. And it's different for my kids who are growing up around a, a legalized drug. So my point about all of this is I think it's undeniable the impact of legalizing marijuana can have on, on new revenue streams and shining a light on an industry and, and going into like, is it safe? All those issues are are up to other people. Where banking can help is, I think, paint the light on unintended consequences. And so I'm going to explain what happens not only to direct businesses that so-called touch the product. There's a big challenge if you're an indirect business. So let's say you have developed an innovative bagging product, right? You know, the this is a this is a um, a drug that has a very pungent odor and smell, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of technology around how do you make sure that you do bag. So say if you are a bag manufacturer and you supply multiple industries, well, right now it would make you ineligible to take advantage of even things like small business lending and mm-hmm. doing these things. So I think what has been talked about at the federal level is let the legal challenges work their way out, but there's just so many unintended consequences to trying to bring a business into compliance. And we talk about technology. So I think what banking can do is to say, establish regulations. We're going to make sure that our customers, and there there are frankly some customers who will come to us, potentially we call them members who want to take advantage of our banking services. They won't be able to comply with what we're asking. And we politely say, you're not for us, you know? And, and so it really is about trying to make sure it's an equal playing field. And I think, you know, Sarah, I would love to know some of her story about deciding to get into this industry. You know, it's a, it's a, it it is not an easy industry to get into for us. It wasn't easy to come up to, to speed on it, but um, there's a lot of things that I think as a regulated industry, partnering with a regulated industry like banking that we can do together to just try to streamline the field. And if you look at this, there are many industries over time through political reasons, didn't have access to banking, minorities, women-owned businesses. And that's really what I think we need to try to frame up is that don't let regulation and banking um, requirements get in the way of making sure that every business has equal access to the things that we all take for granted. And that's kind of the the lens that we try to put on it as to why we got involved. Yeah. And from like an advocacy and lobbying kind of standpoint to try to change some of these regulations or laws and things, do you think that financial industry has more sway or more credibility or more ability to engage with some of these issues than people who are working directly in the cannabis world? Do you feel like you get heard a little easier than maybe someone who's right in the business of cannabis? It's a really thoughtful question. I've never had that posed before. You know what I would say is I think it probably takes talking about it from a number of different angles mm-hmm. for for the problem to be framed correctly. And so, you know, clearly the banking industry, I, I think the larger banks, right, they are approaching it from a marketing opportunity and, and a market opportunity, should I say. You know, they look at it and they say, like, here's a large viable industry that that needs to be banked and we have services to offer. So I think there's a lot of reasons why the banking industry is probably talking about mm-hmm. it. For the credit union movement and for us as a community-owned financial institution, I think we we come at it from the lens of making sure that people understand what business owners just like Sarah are facing, you know, and, and what, you know, challenges that they have. And let's take it one more level down the employees of Sarah, you know, we are very proud that not only do we bank the actual business owners, we provide services. So if you do need a mortgage and you work at a cannabis related business, we will take verified income as coming from a business to make sure that you can buy your first home or, mm. or, or get a uh, HELOC or some things that you take for granted. There are some products that have government called govy backed kind of mortgages that we have to kind of push away from. But um, these are all services that we offer, even as simple as offering a debit card 
to a business owner. That's something we also do to all cannabis related businesses from their legitimate accounts. Imagine doing a staples run or a grocery run. And, you know, Sarah was explaining, I have to pull out my personal card and I have Mm -hmm. to transfer funds back and forth and the tax logistics nightmare. So again, I think there's opportunities to really frame the picture that it just seems unfair to businesses that are paying taxes, including those employees that are getting taxes taken out of their paycheck every week or every month or however you do your payroll, that they need to have access to everything that we take for granted. And um, I think it's just a case where I think the laws are starting to get more stringent. The popularity, popularity is maybe the wrong term, but there are more people in favor at the federal level of making this more safe through the Safe Banking Act and making it more regulated, it probably would pass. But there's a lot of things that are tied into it right now. The criminal justice side of it, there's there's a lot that this is tied up into. So I think we're probably closer than we've ever been to getting some federal legislation. But um, kudos to Sarah and the other business owners in the state that are still figuring it out day in and day out. Knock on wood, you know, Nevada hasn't had um, some of the tragedies that have happened in other places. You know, you talked about it's kind of we're, we're, we're humorously kind of laughing that it was good, but imagine the other scenario of where crime happened or, you know, a business owner was hurt or an employee was hurt kind of transferring cash around. I mean, it's been a long time since cash was uh, in duffel bags and it brings (laughs) up, you know, bad movies with Johnny Depp and Al Pacino and, you know, and others that are thinking about what it was like to, to run drugs. But in all seriousness, these are real issues. I mean, and there have been tragedies in other States that haven't taken a, an aggressive front to try to make banking um, accessible to everyone. I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. I just want to take a moment to tell you about a couple ways that you can interact a little bit more with me, your host, Connor. There are a couple different things that I do as live type of events. First of all, I am hosting a live event this Thursday, May 11th from 7 to 9 at Black Rabbit Mead. That's part of our Renoites Live. We do those about once a month, recording episodes in front of a live audience at Black Rabbit Mead. I hope you'll check that out. Also, As many of you know, I host Trivia for DJ Trivia, and while I don't do traditional ads on the podcast, I really want to take a moment to shout out DJ Trivia, Vicky from DJ Trivia, for being such huge supporters of the show. I host four nights a week, so you can come see me host Trivia at Lead Dog Brewing on Monday, Sierra Tap House on Tuesday, Voodoo Brewing on Wednesday, and Brewer's Cabinet Production Facility on Thursday. All really fun venues, really good regular teams. Would love to see some listeners there. Feel free to say hi if you come to play. Would be really great to see you. Also, I am planning to play trivia as a player sometimes on Sundays at Voodoo. We have a new game, Voodoo Brewing, from 5 to 7 on Sundays. So if you are interested in playing trivia on the Renoites team, it's free to play. It's a lot of fun. Let me know. Shoot me an email, Connor, C-O-N-O-R at Renoites.com or a message on Instagram at Renoites. It'd be fun to have a Renoites listener team. And, you know, I'm pretty good at trivia, so we might win sometimes. The other place you can come see me starting soon is at the Riverside Farmers Market. The Riverside Farmers Market has moved to Idlewild Park on Sundays, Sunday mornings. And I am planning, starting maybe not this week, but within a couple weeks, to have a regular booth at the Riverside Farmers Market. So stop by, grab some stickers, say hey. I'm going to be doing some mini interviews with some of the other vendors. Should be a lot of fun. Riverside Farmers Market is fantastic. I had Casey Crispin, the owner of the market, on the podcast not too long ago. And I'm excited to be working with them starting this summer. So I hope we'll see you at some of those events coming up soon. But for now, back to today's episode. Michael, I think you asked a good question earlier to Sarah of what got you into this business? What was your kind of introduction to this business and kind of the earlier experience of that? Why do you work in cannabis? Well, what got me into this business isn't why I continue to work in cannabis. However, what got me into it, my previous husband was very into both the black market and the gray market in California. And when we moved, we actually moved to Verdi, California, which really is a place most of it's in Nevada, but Mm. part of it's in California. And when they started passing the laws to legalize it in Nevada, he really wanted to, you know, have a legitimate business. So I went ahead and wrote the application and we got it all together. Eventually it became just mine. Why I continue to be in this business is really because, I mean, it's interesting From the beginning, I found it more interesting than a regular business, just the challenges you have to get through to literally just run your business Mm -hmm. every single day are incredible. Most of what I focus on is compliance and sales. So you have challenges at both levels, of course, in this industry. 
it's fun. Yeah. The people are great. Never boring, right? Never boring. Yeah. What's it like for employees in the cannabis industry in Nevada? So my employees are really lucky in that very early on, I started using what's called a PEO, a professional employment organization. So the PEO that I use is Tri-Odyssey. And they've been great because they handle all of my payroll. So actually, even before I had a bank, they were able to give checks to my employees and do direct deposit, handle health insurance benefits. I had to pay them cash, which was very complicated. Now I don't have to do that. And they're also the ones that told me about GNCU's pilot program. So they've been really instrumental in just being able to run a business without having to give my employees duffel bags full of cash. Mm -hmm. Um, So they've been really, really great. The pilot program. Michael, can you talk a little bit about the pilot program and how how you got started in doing cannabis banking? Yeah, and I would love to. This is not often, um, even though I'm responsible for making sure I promote it, it's great to hear Sarah's feeling um, as far as how this goes. But we, we developed a fairly innovative system and I'll explain it at the high level. But if you think about what a cannabis related business is dealing with is, is still large volumes of cash. So we had to develop basically a cashless way of getting the funds from these cannabis related businesses into the banking system. So it literally starts with technology that's called a smart safe. And these are safes that are on-prem, a compliant and safe way for businesses to process that cash. We partner with a lot of third parties and you think about armored, you know, transport services that go in and basically remove the cash from those safe systems. And then it's all processed outside of even our branches. So a lot of it is we had to find a way to make sure that our existing membership, all of our members that were doing transactions, weren't going to be, you know, massively impacted by what we needed to do to, you know, apply what we do for for businesses all over the state to this industry. And so it's a very technologically innovative approach to how we can service these businesses. So that's really been at the heart of it is how do we do this in a way that's compliant. And so the pilot program is we Again, going back to the story, we were approached with a safety issue and we started hearing the stories and Sarah's probably being polite, but I think there are times when employers had to actually pay cash. And imagine if you got a couple thousand bucks and you're like, okay, now go and pay your Nevada energy bill or your Tumwa bill or your cell phone bill. This for us was just untenable, which is why we got passionate about it. And, you know, again, regardless of what side I will say in our four walls as a banking institution, not everybody was pro the the drug or the product. So I don't want you to think that. I mean, there are times we put that aside and we're going like, well, regardless of what side you stand on the issue, we know we offer banking. These are business owners and we want to step up and do that. So hopefully the experience has been very good. But in our institution, we're proud of what innovation has come out of this. We think that our members should be proud of us because again, we didn't bank every business in Nevada, but a lot of them did. And we've hopefully been able to avoid some safety issues. But again, go talking back to employees, the partnership goes deeper. I mean, it's a bigger issue than just the cannabis industry, but a lot of employees don't understand why to have an emergency savings account or why they should be banking versus using services like Venmo to, to operate, you know, things that we've all become more aware of as banks struggle, right? Mm-hmm. That federally insured part of being in a bank and making sure your money is going to be there. We do events with business owners and we try to make sure that we can bring what we call financial education or financial literacy. It's our mantra of we call financial well-being for all. There's a lot of these innovations coming in. We talked about um, new categories of businesses that are opening up. So the next wave of licensing is going in what are called consumption lounges. And we have started reaching out to those businesses and trying to understand what needs they have. So again, we wanted to take it, we call it a pilot, um, is because we wanted to make sure we had our product right. We wanted to make sure that we could offer a valuable service. We tested it. We got a lot of good feedback. And now we feel like we just want to make it known that there's an alternative to maybe dealing with a large national institution. Mm. Um, We're committed to the state of Nevada and we want to make sure as more competition arises and there's going to be more states that legalize for those that want a community-focused that we reinvest in the community and charitable donations. And that's another challenge. I mean, we can talk about it. I mean, some of these businesses, even though they do very good things on behalf of the community, some nonprofits can't accept charitable mm. donations. So again, we're just trying to help uh, make sure that we can, we can be a conduit to create those community connections because the public sentiment, if you look at the latest um, statistics is basically support of legalizing marijuana hasn't wavered. It's been pretty consistently high. It's only getting higher as far as um, more people growing up with it. So this is an industry I think that's here to stay. Mm-hmm. I think as a state, we are very proud to be a part of the solution, but I think there's other parts of the industry that probably need to get support. 
Yeah, you've you've mentioned consumption lounges a couple times, and I know that the legislature is in session right now, and they uh, there was a proposed consumption lounge here in northern Nevada that was voted down or, or blocked or something along those lines. Sarah, can you just talk a little bit about the consumption lounge concept and where you see that fitting in and explain kind of what a consumption lounge is and some of the things that people like about it and the, some of the concerns? There's definitely a huge need for consumption lounges in Nevada because currently... It's legal to go purchase cannabis. You can go home and consume your cannabis, but you legally cannot consume it anywhere else. So as most people know, Nevada's income economy is really based on tourism. So every single tourist who comes to Nevada, unless they're staying, for example, in an Airbnb where the owner allows the use of cannabis, they have nowhere to use cannabis legally. Mm. So it's a huge problem, especially for places like Reno and Las Vegas, because the people going into casinos, you know, I don't think the casinos are hugely fond of cannabis use there. I think it happens frequently, but I think it's a far better situation for people to have a safe place where it's legal to consume cannabis. Mm-hmm. Where the legislation is at right now is that it's been approved at a state level, and I believe local jurisdictions are currently deciding whether or not to allow them. So a number of licenses have been given out, but Some people might not understand how it works. You can get a license at the state level, but if, for example, the city of Reno says you can't open this business, Mm -hmm. you're kind of out of luck. Got it. So in order for consumption lounges to move forward, the local jurisdictions are going to have to approve them. Gotcha. What are those negotiations like right now with the county or with the city? There was a proposed consumption lounge that was not approved. What's the kind of next steps on trying to make those happen? I think there's a a lot of lobbying involved. I personally didn't try to get a consumption lounge license, mostly because I have a headache at least a few times a week, (laughs) and I don't want another one. So (laughs) I'm just not trying to go down that road right Mm now. I really love what I do, so I'm going to stick with that. But I do know that most dispensaries had an opportunity to get a consumption lounge, and I think it makes sense for them to. Mm-hmm. Because again, I think their customers really deserve to have a place where they're legally allowed to consume. Yeah. One of the things that I think is a challenge with consumption lounges in such a car centric culture, and I think this entire country is very car obsessed, cities are built around cars and driving. We don't always prioritize walkability. And cannabis has a long time effect. A lot of times, if you go and smoke a joint, you might not be sober an hour later. And I think that's the concern that a lot of people express around cannabis is we have a world where everyone has to drive everywhere. So if we don't have the walkability, then where do you put a cannabis lounge that doesn't create risk and danger with driving? Is that something that the industry thinks about as far as where to put cannabis lounges? In Vegas, it makes sense. There's a ton of tourists who are walking everywhere. They're taking taxis everywhere. And it's very normal not to drive in Vegas if you're a tourist. Here in Northern Nevada, very different scenario. I think that Everyone drives up here. So what does that look like as far as addressing that issue or finding ways to do consumption lounges that will be safe and will be accepted by the community as being safe? Absolutely. I actually think that it's a good point to bring up, but I also think that maybe it'll give the society an opportunity to fix a problem, which we already have, which is that a lot of people drink and drive. So I think overall, Northern Nevada, Reno, I think they really need to address that situation regardless. Mm -hmm. So maybe it will just give another opportunity to address it because it's a huge problem. I have the conversation with my friends and my kids. Just leave your car at home. If you're planning to go out Mm -hmm. and have any fun at all, don't kid yourself that you are only going to have one drink or only going to have two drinks. Just plan on not driving. Mm -hmm. What's the worst case scenario? You spend $20 on an Uber. Right. Best case scenario is you're getting home safe. Mm Mm-hmm. If you take your car, there's a good chance that you're either going to drive at a level of intoxication that's really unnecessary or, you know, have to Uber home and get your car later. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that, but I guess that does make sense that having the cannabis consumption lounges shine the light on driving under the influence in general might be a a good thing to kind of address the bigger issue. I think so. I think there's a really big problem with drinking and driving in Nevada. I mm-hmm. mean, how often do you see it on the news? Mm-hmm. How many people do you know with DUIs? Right. It's a big problem. Yeah. I know we asked you, Sarah, about how you got into the business that you're in. Michael, how did you get into the world of credit union banking? Because I think your, your background's more in media, right? 
Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I didn't think I was going to grow up to be a banker. I've been very lucky. <laughs> I, I uh, actually started out as a uh, broadcast journalist and came to Reno, and it was going to be a pit stop in the '90s. You know, that's the way journalism worked back then. Is that you would typically work your way into bigger markets. So I got lucky, met my wife. I'm still married to. We have three kids here. And I got out of uh, doing news into economic development and community development. So I was able to work in um, uh, the economic development and tech-led economic development here, worked in tourism and hospitality, and then went into marketing. And then um, during the pandemic, I just had an opportunity to reflect on what I enjoyed most in my life. And uh, I'm, I'm a marketer at heart and uh, have been successful in doing that and just found a, a great organization in Greater Nevada um, that was very focused on on driving big community impact. And so it was just one of those... I never would have thought that I would have ended up here, but I've been you know, lucky enough to go into roles that I could um, take my um, storytelling ability, my ability to understand how to reach a market, and to, uh, to help an organization that's doing a lot of good. Uh, I will mention Greater Nevada is the only what's called community development financial institution in the state of Nevada. And what that means at its core is that you know, we are focused on trying to serve a lower economic level in the population. Typically, that's about 80% of the median income. And our programs are really meant to open up banking and access and even something as simple as a savings account. For some individuals, you know, like a thousand to a $1,500 expense can really put them into a, a world of financial hurt. And so we're trying to just really just make sure that you start bringing the education around financial wellness and financial well-being and the connection to your health at a very early level. So we have programs that go down and teach kids in the elementary and middle and high school level about how to manage their finances and understand what the difference between like a 20% interest rate on your credit card is versus being able to have those savings. So we kind of take it for granted, but really um, that's the number one stressor in life is finances. And I love the comment Sarah made, you know, a lot of the, the problems that we face are not simple. They're not one industry problems. They're, they're usually complex. And I will say, you know, something like cannabis can bring Republicans and Democrats and independents together to sort of say like, you know, this is an industry that's complex. How do we make it work? And yeah, some of the meetings that we've been at have had business owners, very aggressive social community activists, along with bankers, all talking about, you know, how do we make our communities a place that's livable and support entrepreneurs and, and make a situation, you know, hopefully come out with a common solution. And I think we could all agree education is the key to a lot of this and it's education of how to use drugs responsibly, medicinal marijuana and the nuances there. I think a lot of it is just, you mentioned the word cannabis or marijuana or pot and people go one way or the other. And I think, you know, um, the best things that we can see out of this is just constructive dialogue. And, you know, again, when you go back to DC and you're talking to um, elected officials, I think the ones that are trying to move this agenda along really understand that, you know, it serves the community better when we can try to have a holistic solution. And it's great. You know, a lot of other states don't have local owned uh, dispensaries anymore. They're really getting gobbled up, multi-state operators. So mm -hmm. it's, again, I think it's credit to business owners like Sarah that are, that are legitimately trying to make a go of it and trying to employ people and provide livable wages and, you know, make it a good business. So um, we're excited about that opportunity to be a part of that ecosystem. Yeah. Sarah, can you talk a little bit about that too? Because every business as they start to grow, not every business, but every industry as it starts to grow, sometimes you get these giant conglomerates and they run the whole thing. Like, are we going to see Philip Morris weed? Are we going to see the Walmart of cannabis at some point? What do you think that might look like? And I think cannabis is kind of unique in that because of the way it's regulated, because it's only legal certain places, it is kind of a protection from the, the mass conglomeration but that won't always be the case probably. So what are your thoughts on, you know, mass market, big money cannabis operations? I do think that one day you will see that. I don't think it will be anytime really soon. I think it's a risky business and I think that those businesses are going to be able to look at it even in the long run and see that it's not just risky from a legality perspective. But it's also really just glorified farming. Mm. So farming has a lot of challenges just in general. I was just reading an article this morning about hop latent viroid, which is something that most people don't think about, but it's like something that can essentially devastate your crops, right? So I think that before those businesses really get into cannabis, they're really going to have a, many, many years of you know, our experience to look at and be like, hmm, do I really want to do that? It's really a great idea because unless you really have a passion for it, it's a difficult business. Mm. And I don't think that any of them are going to do it before it's federally legal and possibly not before it's legal globally. 
Because businesses like that, I don't think they're really content just staying within Nevada mm. or just staying within the United States. Oh, yeah. I think before they can really make a run for it globally, they probably will stay away from it. And it does protect smaller businesses. You still have large cannabis businesses, though. There's still, you know, you have Curaleaf, who's bought up Trike recently. So they're now a huge multi-state operator. You have Verano, which bought out Sierra Wellness. So all these larger cannabis businesses are buying up the small people. So it's kind of like that, but just on a smaller level. Gotcha. Looking forward to what's next, uh, I know that there's a bill in the legislature right now around hallucinogenic mushrooms and other sort of medical-use natural substances. Do you think that that's going to follow a similar path to what we saw with cannabis as far as the banking side, Michael? Do you think that it's going to be a similar process with the legality and and what banks are involved with on those things? Just kind of what's your uh, looking forward, especially around things like hallucinogens uh, or psychedelics, whatever you want to call them. How are those going to affect the work that you do? Or how do you think that uh, that's going to look compared to the, the cannabis story? Yeah, it's a really good question. I'll, t- I'll take it at a slightly different approach. Is just the innovation, or maybe a better way of saying it is the disruption that's happening right now to many traditional industries, banking being one of them. There's so much innovation and so much technology and so many new things that are being opened up. And that bill that you're mentioning is new to me, but I've been watching you know, some of the debate that's going on right now about hallucinogenics from a medical perspective. And I think I would just take away this is that I do think as long as it follows a process similar to cannabis, I want to go back, you know, this was a case where it was brought to a vote of the the voters in the state of Nevada. That's the way it typically goes is it's a ballot driven initiative. So again, it's going to be polarizing at times, but I think as long as these emerging categories follow a similar process of like, does it reflect what the community wants? Does it have the supportive of the business industry? The one thing that I will not caution, but something to be looked about, about that, the, what we would call the social equity of the way cannabis businesses are being operated right now. So California has taken a hard look about who has licenses. And if you look at some of the expense of getting into a business, you know, if there is economic impact happening, say in a low socioeconomic neighborhood, you know, why isn't that community being able to support entrepreneurs that are really going to be rooted in the community, Mm -hmm. um, being able to support through jobs. And so I think just like anything else, you know, it's like, um, you know, we're famous for out here in Nevada, the, the, the great gold rush and the silver rush and all these things. There's always a, a grab, right? Where you try to go after a new industry and all these emerging categories. I think we're starting to learn some lessons about the way to do it the right way. And I will say it was a little bit challenging for us to get so many calls to be like, can't you just prop up a banking program? And it was like, no. And it would have been great if we would have had the ability to have some of these conversations before. But, you know, again, I do think we have a path forward. I think it would be beneficial to have what I talked about earlier, that safe harbor, because what you'll end up doing with having a wild west approach is you're going to always have unscrupulous actors or unethical business, you know, prey on, on industries. And, and, you know, we talked about lending. We didn't go into a lot, you know, sometimes a typical business loan is about 10%, you know, give or take where we are in a cycle for cannabis related businesses. Those interest rates are, could have been as high as 30%. Mm-hmm. And again, it's cause it's risky. Yes, it is. But it's just, you know, again, going back to, if you really want to take a look at it, not every business is going to have access to multiple states or being able to get competitive um, interest. And and I think that pressure, you know, doing a 30% loan, what is that going to do to an entrepreneur? It's going to go back and it's going to cause them to look at squeezing out of other areas, maybe benefits to employees or what they can pay wages. So I hope whatever legalized drug comes out of the patchwork next we have an industry and we have advocates that are going to say, if we just do this a little bit more forward thinking, maybe we can avoid some of the challenges that have happened in the way that we've approached the rollout of cannabis. Mm-hmm. If we don't learn, I think we're going to be deemed to repeat the same mistakes again. And so hopefully whatever it is next, we've learned some lessons. But what do you think? I love what you said about social equity and how really people without a lot of cash on hand really cannot not only can they not get into this business, they can't stay in this business. So as Michael mentioned, I personally cannot get a business loan. So let's say I have a month where, which happens all the time, I have people who are paying me, you know, 90 days late. Every month at the end of the month, I need to give the state of Nevada a huge amount of money for my excise tax. They don't care whether I've been paid or not. If I don't have cash to pay that, you know, you're then fined like a huge amount of money. So 
you already don't have money and then you have to pay more money because you don't have money, which is mm-hmm. really how our society has created a very large lower class just mm-hmm. in general. But in cannabis, it's like times a million. So it's really extreme the way that happens. And I would say that, I mean, really the way that I see banking moving forward is by being able to offer businesses like myself. And I mean, I know a lot of small cannabis businesses who've just gone bankrupt. You know, one one month they can't cover their excise tax and that's it. They just shut down. Hmm. So I think having things like, you know, lower interest business loans open to cannabis companies is really going to help, hopefully eventually. Um, I think also... In terms of, you've talked a lot about activism at the federal level. I would say that, you know, maybe even GNCU getting more involved at the state level. There's a lot of things happening in the cannabis industry. There's even a bill right now about excise tax and getting rid of fair market value. So those are steps that are going to have to happen in the cannabis industry in order for it to stay alive in Nevada. I've heard multiple cannabis business owners say if they don't get rid of fair market value, there's just really no purpose in staying in this business. Mm. Because our tax rate is just so incredibly high as a result. So I think maybe GNCU actually could look a little bit more locally (laughs) and see how they can support the politics locally in order to help kind of the state of Nevada understand where they need to go in order to keep this industry running. Because I think that the people running it at the state, the operators really don't understand the big picture. If I could just add on to that, I think the stigma is, is that's why we're, you know, trying to raise the visibility about this industry is, you know, we're as regulated as you could imagine as an industry. And this is a highly regulated industry. So regardless of where you stand on your support of the industry, I think it's important just to get educated about understanding what compliance measures are in place. And I can say, you know, as a, um, I'm a member of the credit union, as well as an employee, you know, we are following the letter of the law and we won't bank anybody that doesn't do that. So again, going back to all of this, it's good to have these opportunities to raise some visibility because our industries or our tax supported um, endeavors like state schools and other areas that are looking for ways to fund. I mean, the cannabis industry is providing those direct taxable funds and making an impact that way. So again, it does feel disproportionately unfair to put extra burdens on an industry. And I do hope um, we are explaining and we have a lot of conversations about why we got into this. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, a lot of the questions I get, you just did this for money. I guarantee it's not, you know, it's not a huge cash maker for us. Again, it's going back to trying to do the right thing. And I think there's an opportunity to raise the visibility about what is being done in the right ways. And like you said, it's a complex industry. It's got all kinds of fringe issues about even some of the things that um, are, are going to be educational components that we have to do as the, as society changes. But again, I think putting up a wall and just saying, I don't want to have this conversation tends to lead to fairly bad outcomes. So um, I applaud Sarah for joining us and talking about this and you giving us a, an opportunity. I think, you know, it's, it's an evolving industry. I think, mm-hmm. you know, if I look back to the two plus years, or actually three years that we've been in this pilot, a lot has changed, but what's main consistent is we made a lot of really well-intentioned business owners that are just trying to run a going business and we need to find a way, I think, uh, to support them if um, we're going to have the benefit come from the taxable income that the industry is providing. Yeah. For such a complex and nuanced business that's always changing, we'll close with this. How do you recommend that people find out what's going on and stay informed and understand these things uh, if they do want to have the conversation, if they do want to learn? How should just regular folks, listeners who don't necessarily work in this industry, but maybe they follow what's happening at the state legislature or whatever, how should people inform themselves about the cannabis industry and the financial issues around it? Yeah, great question. I'll, I'll answer it just to remind, and I'd love to hear Sarah. You know, first of all, I think it's important to really understand what is in the legislation, and, and you know, that's a difficult time. But if you look at if, if you did, the NCUA, which is the National Credit Union Administration, has some very clear recommendations about what they would want to see in the Safe Banking Act. And if you go to Politico and you search Safe Banking Act, you can see the the standards. And I encourage you to reach out if you're listening in Nevada. The senator's offices here, federal delegation, all have the ability to take input. So I'd say, you know, listen to what's happening. And there's a lot of other industry associations. And I'll let Sarah speak to those that are great places to find, you know, unbiased information. Absolutely. There's a number of organizations that come to mind that stay up to date on legislation and the changes being made. One of those is Chamber of Cannabis. They're a lobbying group, but they're more focused on customers less on people like me. There's the Nevada Cannabis Association. 
they have more to do with owners and people like me and lobbying at that level. And then, of course, there's really basic things like getting emails from the CCB that they send out periodically and things like that that you can do. But I mean, quite frankly, it's difficult for even me to stay up to date. So I kind of depend on other people who know me in the industry to call me when something's crazy is going on because... There's just so much happening all the time that it's difficult to stay up to date. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks both of you for coming on the show. The, one of the things I love about the show is getting to learn about things that I know a little bit about and getting to kind of get the details in the background. And I think for this industry in particular, a lot of people only know, you know, cannabis was illegal and now it's legal and there's some dispensaries and they have issues with banking. And that's the extent of it. So being able to have a little more substantive conversation about both why that is a little more of the nuance and what you hope to see. I always try to end with a little bit of forward thinking about what we'd like to see. And uh, it's good to hear kind of your, your goals and how we can make these things better as, you know, learn from the, the process so far. So thank you so much, uh, both of you, for, for coming in and being on the show. Thank you. It was great. Yeah, thank you. Listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Renoites. And a special thanks to my guests, Michael Thomas and Sarah Rosenfeld, for coming on the show. This was a really educational episode. I learned a ton about the way that the cannabis business works in Nevada, and I hope that we will continue to make things better for our local cannabis businesses so they can continue to survive and thrive. If you enjoyed this episode, please do me a favor and help spread the word. This podcast exists only from word of mouth. Word of mouth means everything for a project like this. So share those posts on social media. Subscribe on your podcast app. I don't know if you subscribe yet on your podcast app of choice, but there's probably a button somewhere to subscribe. You'll get a notification or it'll automatically download the episode. I don't know. It just makes sure that you don't miss episodes if you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. So do that. Follow me on Instagram at Renoids on Instagram. Share posts on Instagram, Facebook, whatever social media you use. It all makes a huge difference to help me reach more folks in Reno who might find these episodes interesting. And I appreciate all of your support. This season of Renoites is produced by myself, Connor McQuivy, and Ember Braun. And that's all we've got for you this week. See you on Thursday at our live episode or with a brand new episode next Tuesday. (laughs) 